0: I'll have what she's having. I love relationships. I love romantic comedies. I love love. We don't know what Cinderella looked like because she's not real. Yes, they freaking got it. Really earn that happily ever after at the end. Change the writing. It's not that hard. Hello, all you hopeful romantics, and welcome to a very special episode of What She's Having, presented by Meat Cute, where a glass of rosé isn't required, but okay, it really is. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew, and today you may notice the tone of the pod is a little different. Listen, week after week we've heard so many guests refer to the role of women in Hollywood who are or should be making these rom-coms. So... We brought on the effortlessly brilliant Katie McCaffrey, who is not only a huge fan of rom-coms, but also a current expert and advocate of women in the entertainment industry. Katie is the co-head of literary at the Gersh Agency, representing writers and directors of all your favorite shows, including the recently released rom-com Gone Wrong, Good on Paper, currently on Netflix. She's also a founding member of We for She and the Write Her and Direct Her list, which has launched the careers of some of your favorite women creators, including, spoiler alert, one of our upcoming guests. Can you guess who? Katie was one of those women that I honestly immediately admired and wanted to make my best friends. I equal parts wanted to pick her brain and tell her all of my secrets. And that is why it is my true honor to share with you the wonderfully insightful and giving and incredible Katie McCaffrey. Katie, I'd love to get started if you don't mind. Sound good? Let's do it. Okay. Well, just to kick things off, would you mind giving our listeners and honestly me kind of a brief overview of who you are and where you come from?
1: yeah i'm i'm happy to do it and i'm so so thrilled to be a part of this so thank you for having me so uh i am currently the one of the co-heads of gersh's television literary department and gersh is a um, talent agency out here in hollywood and we represent incredible actors and incredible writers and incredible directors and below the line people like editors and ADs and we have commercial. Anyway, we're, we're sort of across the board. I really concentrate on people who write and direct in the television space. I got my start in this industry actually working at the William Morris Agency, which was so long ago that we actually called it William Morris instead of WME, which is now what it's referred to. Mm -hmm. Um, And I left there to become a producer. Um, I I worked with a man who had a pod company at 20th and um, at a certain point left there to become an executive at 20th for a very short amount of time. And then I left 20th to start with a few women, uh, a nonprofit called we for she which is designed to help women get jobs in television. Because I don't know if you've heard it, but <laughs> we have a little gender gap problem in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, do we? I've never come across that. So <laughs> <laughs> it's surprising, right? Um, but it is actually uh, it's problematic. Uh, we actually have a severe gender gap problem, and the way that we, for she, operates is trying to be very practical in terms of creating tools that actually executives can use in their efforts to hire more women um sometimes you know the hollywood gambit can be very risk averse so they like to hire people who've done the job lots of times before the problem with that is if the people who have done the jobs lots of times before are only one kind of person uh it's hard to expand that out so you know we started a a, a what we call the right her list because it's you know it's catchy um and and it's designed to highlight like 20 to 25 scripts television scripts every year written by women featuring strong female characters has to pass the Bechtel test has to be interesting and then really it's just to highlight it so that if you're an executive at say a studio or at a production company and you want to hire this woman but maybe they haven't done the job you're talking about before this is just a little accolade that they can point to hey she was on this year's writers list you know, it's and those people that's not us choosing it, it's actually called from all around town. We ask executives and showrunners and directors to vote for their favorite scripts so it kind of emerges as as town favorite. So that helps and then we we also have a directors program which helps um episodic directors, first time episodic directors get that first job. So that's kind of like baked into my DNA. I I really find that everything that I do for We for She and what I do as an agent is focused on finding people who come from backgrounds that are traditionally not given an opportunity to tell their story and trying to find ways to help them tell their story. And sometimes that's through writing and sometimes it's through directing and sometimes it's through producing, but that's really where I focus.
0: I know what we're speaking about is beyond women, but I do remember having a conversation with our mutual friend, Rachel winter, who has been on this podcast. And she said, unfortunately in the entertainment industry, it seems like men get jobs based off their potential and women get jobs based on what they've already achieved. Right. And that is such a hard gap to fill. Um, for listeners not in the entertainment industry, what does a literary agent actually do? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) True.
1: I mean, if you really boil it down, and maybe when I sort of talk to my kids about it, you know, we just help people find jobs in the entertainment industry. That's, that's the basics of what an, what an agent does. Um, but it's really nuanced, especially if you're, if you're good about it or if you care about it. You know, that can be from trying to pair a writer with a producer when one of them has an idea and it makes sense for them to work together. Sometimes, you know, when a television show gets ordered, um, they'll put together a writer's room, the person who created it, which means they bring in, you know, somewhere between five to 15 other writers to help them create all the episodes, because there can be so many. There can be 22 a year. There can also be like six. Uh, we also help people hire directors for when those episodes need to be shot. Um, and this really comes down to this idea of helping people to tell their stories. You know, writers or directors have original ideas, and we bring those to market. We We talk to buyers, networks. We talk to... Um, what we call studios, which are the people who really finance this stuff, we talk to producers trying to get those stories out in the marketplace. And I I feel like I'm maybe selling this in one way and it's not true. And I want to take a minute because, yeah, I want to tell stories that, that haven't been told, but that's not always like important moving the needle and the social dialogue forward. Like these stories can be silly and weird and funny, but But we have we've always had examples of silly and weird and funny, Um, but we've been hearing them all from really a particular set of point of view. And and all I'm saying is that I want to hear how the other people interpret those weird and silly and fun stories. You know, I do work with an incredible um, multi hyphenate. She's a actress, writer, director, mom, really good friend uh, by the name of Kimmy Gatewood. And she has a new movie that's about to drop on Netflix at the end of the month that stars Eliza Schlesinger. And I'm really excited to see that. That's her first feature. She's done a lot of um, directing in television. She's done a ton of writing. She has a, um, a couple of features going forward in writing. Her shorts that she sometimes writes and directs, sometimes just directs, have all won awards. But this is like kind of the first big full length feature that we're going to see from her with a really, you know, kind of compelling talent on board. And I'm very excited to see it enter into the world and see how people fall in love with her the way that I've fallen in love with her. I'm super, super proud of her.
0: Oh, I can't wait to watch that. Have you been working on any
1: romantic comedies? Romantic comedies seem to have been kind of pulled into the feature space or held onto by the feature space for so long. Yes. And we're hearing from so many buyers, how do we do romantic comedies in TV, right? You know, and one of the question marks is, for a romantic comedy to work, you have to get to that ending. You have to get to they come together. And TV doesn't want to give you an ending, right? TV wants to keep you coming back. So do you try and stretch it out over multiple seasons and run the risk of, of finally just irritating your audience? You know, like, <laughs> come on, get together. Or do you get them together and pull them apart season after season after season? And and what, what's the impact of that? I mean, I think one of the biggest versions of this that probably all of us have a touchstone for is ross and rachel Mm -hmm. right you know they were so great at really making us wait for it and then when they finally got together it was one of the biggest episodes of television that we had seen to date you know like you could you could probably have muted that moment and just heard from apartments and houses across the country, the, oh my God, you know, when they finally kissed, because they had really waited it out. But I do think after that, you know, the, the breaking up and the coming back together and the breaking up and the coming back together started, it starts to wear on an audience, right? So there is this question of how do we take what we love with rom-coms and really bring it into the television space. And I have a lot of writers and a lot of directors trying to solve that equation because it's something that we all need right now as audience members. Um, You know, it's been a tough year for the entire planet. And we want shows that allow us to take a little break, that allow us to find a little inspiration, find a little hope, We want to lose ourselves in a in a good story that at the end of the day, you're like, oh, great, you know, and um, I think Ted Lasso in its way really did that. And, you know, it's not a traditional rom com. but if you think about it, I think you've talked about this on previous podcasts, like it really was a story about him learning to just love him and love this situation and be okay with it and not trying to just get it done and, and then go back and fix everything. But I think that's the difference the the way that rom-coms are going to work in an episodic is going to be more about the non-traditional rom-com, how we fall in love with who we are.
0: Well, it's interesting because the two examples you brought up were Ted Lasso and Friends. And I think about when I first started watching romantic comedies, I was a young girl, super hungry for a taste of what romantic love meant, and also looking for models. And it was so exciting, like you said, in Ted Lasso, that for the most part, his choices were very healthy when it came to mental health. And that was so inspiring to me as an adult. And I often question how much of my romantic world was shaped by these romantic comedies or television on-again, off-again relationships and how I approach my own relationships. I always go back to Carrie and Big and Sex in the City and how breaking up was normalized over and over and over again
1: the only reason to get together at a young age is to have the drama of breaking up because what does it mean to date at 12 or 13 really nothing right you can't <laughs> go out anywhere you can't you're just at school you're not really doing anything so it's just to kind of experience the highs and lows of that you know romantic connection but you have to get to the lows because that's really all they're trying to emulate and it, you know the other side of this is that you know we are a culture that's really focused on the happy ending being this monogamous relationship and and so so there is a one and there is an end right so you you do have to break up a whole bunch of times before you get to the one which means that you never break up again and i i do think that we're starting to explore and i think it's a positive thing you know rom-coms are starting to explore um relationships that are not just heterosexual you know so we're looking at versions like that they're not they're starting to explore relationships that are not just two people Um, and, and that's really healthy too, because I know from, as being a mother of a 12 year old, that they're not talking about relationships in the same way that we did and the same, the way that Hollywood portrays them. They think of relationships a lot differently and they think of sexual orientation and gender identity and, um, you know, how these things are sorted out in a completely different way.
0: What are they
1: saying? What discussions are you having? first of all, gender identity and sort of needing to declare whether you're heterosexual or gay is not important to them, Mm -hmm. right? It's a very fluid thing. And I hear often enough, you know, that a girl has a crush on a girl or um, a boy has a crush on a boy. And then next week, they have a crush on somebody from from another gender. And it has not thus far been like, I'm gay, So I only like people of my gender. It's just like, I liked this person or he liked this person. Let's be clear, they're gossiping. They're still doing that, that's that's (laughs) perennial, right? But they're saying so-and-so has a crush on so-and-so but it it so far doesn't seem to matter the gender identity that that person has and it can change back and forth. And it might just be again that we've happily created enough of a space And they have seen enough examples of all of this stuff in the shows that they watch that they're really comfortable not having to make a declaration,
0: just liking who they like. Yeah, you mean just being who they are is enough for them? (laughs) For now. (laughs) God, I admire that. Yeah. You brought up another great point earlier about happy endings. And I'm so curious, what is your perspective on happy endings just as a construct of structure in the Mm -hmm. stories we're telling versus a concept in our life? You know, I I
1: feel very conflicted about this because I much, much, much prefer to watch a movie with a happy ending or a TV show Mm -hmm. with a happy ending. I really do have this part of my mindset that's just like, ugh, don't make me go on a journey just to kind of bum me out at the end. But I also recognize that some stories to be told authentically and to have gravitas, you know, they kind of do need to not wrap it up with a bow because that's not how life works. So I often find myself conflicted between do I want you to tell an authentic story and that's important or is that not the role of this movie or any movie or any TV show is the role that I want you to take me on a journey that ultimately makes me feel better about the, the human condition. I think about this a lot when I think about um, Thelma and Louise. Oh, yeah. Thelma and Louise is, you know, an iconographic feminist movie and they've been talking about it for years. And I actually, I did do an interview many years ago for a documentary about women in, and in Hollywood and all that stuff. And we got to talking about this and I adamantly for the and, and earnestly <laughs> believe that that is not a happy ending. That is not a happy ending. And we as feminists cannot allow that to be qualified as a happy ending. Yes, they refuse to be stuck in the male paradigm, but the only version of breaking out of the male paradigm can't be driving you and your best friend off a cliff. Ugh. Right? Yes. <laughs> That I just I refuse to see that even though they took each other's hands and made a conscious decision to buck the system, it's the choice is not be in the system or kill yourself. (laughs) We need different choices. We need better choices.
0: Is there any programming you think are showing both sides of this coin or doing it right?
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of shows that are really great out there. Um, I absolutely adored Promising Young Woman as a movie. I know very outside the rom com space, but that certainly left us with, you know, not the happy end, not a happy ending felt like, felt like it, some things were tied up with the box. But did she have to, did they, did she have to die to allow audience members to celebrate, you know, kind of the final resolution, the, that positive thing? I don't know she had to destroy herself for justice is what right. I got from that. Yeah. In the same way, and that's sort of the Thelma and Louise paradigm. Did they have to be destroyed for people to finally, people in power to finally take a look at what is wrong in the system? You know, I don't know. Oh, that feels very resonant this year. Oh, it feels very resonant today. I don't know if you read the article about ICM, but
0: No, not yet.
1: There's toxic masculinity and there's, you know, they've had other incidences of sexual harassment. They have incidences of, you know, just really, really angry and yelling um, executives and just inappropriate workplace behavior. And if agents are somehow the gatekeepers of what gets through, what does it say about what gets through, right? If these are the kind of people that it has to go through. You know, it's not just who we represent that it needs to be diverse. We need diverse agents. We need the filters themselves to be from all different perspectives. Yes, more women, but more people of color, more people of different orientation and identity. It just has to be such a massive priority for the gatekeepers in Hollywood to be different so that we can tell different kinds of stories because this is how we get stuck with only rom-coms being a certain way. Mm -hmm. and happy endings being only defined as one way and again like i don't mean to say that like all, all hollywood is bad because believe me it isn't i watched a wonderful movie this weekend with my whole family my husband my daughter who's 12 my son who's eight and we all loved it and it was called the mitchells versus the machine and yeah it was an animated movie but it had great husband and wife you know, dynamics, it had great father-daughter dynamics, it had great sibling dynamics, had a powerful mom character, you know, so there, there, somebody got it right. A lot of people got it right. I know it went through a whole bunch of filters and along the way, a lot of people got a lot of stuff right. It can be done, but it just is gonna take all of us in Hollywood who are these filters, these gatekeepers to to encourage and to challenge all of our peers to get it right.
0: Well, you brought up one way you're doing that earlier is we for she. Could could you tell me a little bit more about the work you guys are doing and, and what was the turning point that made you be like, I have to work on it and we for she has to exist? The need to do something for me
1: came out of being part of the system, part of companies that were prolific content creators in Hollywood. And there really being a disturbing lack of women creating it. It's still a real problem, and that's with all the awareness that we have. It's still a real problem. And I was talking to somebody who was pretty high up in the ranks of of deciding what shows get bought by a major studio, and he did happen to be, you know, a thirty year old white male. And I asked him quite anecdotally, "Why do you think it is that we don't have more shows?" written by women that we that we sell to the networks. And he said, in his infinite wisdom, "It's not that we don't want any, it's just that there aren't any good ones.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: And my, my ears bled and my (laughs) eyes rolled back into my head. And at that moment, I thought to myself, I want to create a list, just like, like a list of all the great female writers and all their great female scripts. And I want to print it out and then I want to crumple it up and I want to shove it down his throat. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, my feminism is really born out of vengeance, <laughs> but I know that my partners, at we for she come from it uh, from a much more productive uh, and inclusionary perspective. And they bring me along into that mindset. And I'm super, super thankful for them because they're wonderful women uh, who do work very hard to help balance this this gender gap that we have and help balance me to come at it from less of a, a Batman revenge style and, and more of a just here to help style.
0: Mm, that, that's wonderful. I, <laughs> I'm like, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I'm going to and you then know. decide if I cut it later. Um, my first job as a writer in Hollywood was uh, writing the screenplay to a remake or big job, a remake of a 1980s Disney film. And it was a partnered screenplay with a white man that happened to be my partner, like love partner. And he had no background in writing, just wanted to write. And I have had a whole life in the creative industry and the producer only wanted to sign the contract with him and then have him pay me out. Oh,
1: dear Lord.
0: I will say it was 50-50. That writing partner was an incredible asset, but Just as an example of allyship and why this stuff is so important, he kind of blew it off and was like, let's get our check. You know, I'll pay you. Our names will both be on it. And I was like, do you not see the symbol? He wants to communicate with his boys club. He is valuing me less. And this was a very seasoned and well-known producer. Yeah. And I knew I was just one of a long list of women that would have had to make compromises. And your list makes that list (laughs) feel a little bit better
1: thank you i mean it's it's yeah, i want it to do that i want women to feel like there's a place they can go a place that they're heard a place that they're valued and spotlighted and listen uh, some of these shows on the scripts on the list have become shows on television you know dickinson was something that we we had on the list a long time ago and it it, it really hit all the markers for the kinds of shows and voices that we want to be highlighting and you know the creator of that show is really sought after now and we have a lot of people who've been featured on the writer's list who are established showrunners. It isn't just a, you know, kind of up and comers listed. We feature very established women and we have almost to a single one seen those established women happily turn around and reach out their hand and grab the wrist of somebody else on the list who isn't well-known. Sometimes it's putting them on, on their own show. And that's amazing. But sometimes it's just simply like, I'll hop on the phone with you. I'll talk to you about this deal point. I'll talk to you about some male producer who's absolutely screwing you. And I'll tell you when it happened to me and what I did or what I did wrong. And I think how you can do better. You know, it's that, And that's really what we want to do. I, I want to create a network of advice and I'll give advice to any, anybody who wants it in this space and where I'm useful, maybe even when I'm not useful. But um, I, I also want to expand it out. I don't want to recreate the boys club. I think that's toxic, um, hmm. but I'm not looking for that, but I am looking for equity, right? I, I want to create environments and possibilities that are at least equitable to what men seem to have. Women have it even harder in movies. You know, there are much fewer women getting major movies. There are much fewer women writing major movies. They seem to really be, for lack of a, a better phrase, you know, kind of marginalized into the indie world. Which has smaller budgets, and the expectation is that they can accomplish a lot more for a lot less. And actually, I'm really proud that women have risen to the occasion there. But now I want to see what they can do when the paycheck is five times more. Because if you're loving, promising young woman that has a limited budget, what can that what can that director do with with so much more? Like that's a movie I want to see for sure.
0: I mean, when Emerald Fennell accepted her Oscar, incredibly pregnant and then they showed pictures of her on set what was it like eight and a half months pregnant this makes you cry that is exactly what i want and why is this the first time i'm seeing it
1: well you know we we need to talk about it more too when we have these successes uh i work with an incredible writer um by the name of ashley bradley she works for a major major hollywood company and she was just on set as the onset um writer very very pregnant very very pregnant and it's a big action series and she writes that big action stuff and the actors and the crew they were coming to her with her big belly and she's like you know I've I've got the script and notes in one hand and I've got a fistful of peanut M&Ms in the other (laughs) and and that's okay (laughs) you know that's that's how I'm I'm structuring this moment now it was exhausting and we have to normalize that too yeah because we have to recognize that Yes, women can do it all, but sometimes when they do it all, it's really asking them to do twice as much or three times as much, you know, like making an entire other human being while making a show is harder, but that the choice needs to be up to the women. Uh, We need to stop letting Hollywood decide for them what they can and can't accomplish.
0: Kind of pivoting into something a little bit more delicious. Did you have a favorite romantic comedy growing up that has lasted with you throughout these years? Oh, hands down. (laughs) <laughs> okay. okay. So I, was,
1: I, was a li- I was a little bit older, but um, The Princess Bride is easily, completely, 100% fully my absolute favorite romantic comedy. I love a lot of romantic comedies, but it can't be supplanted. It can't be removed. I have um, in my laundry room, which is right outside this door, a poster of Wesley and Buttercup holding hands, you know, the first when he wow. was about to go off. And it's signed by Carrie Elwes that my husband, I know i know he my husband at the time was developing a show with him and he just he knew we were not married yet i knew how much i loved him and he obviously you know went out of the way to sign it and it just whenever i'm down whenever i'm anything really if i just have extra space i will turn it on and every time there's something new and interesting and fun and that you know buttercup fights for her own individuality in that movie. She has a journey, you know, she gets sucked into it, but then she pulls herself out. But she also has this wonderful hero who just loves her so completely and the humor is so baked in, but there's all sorts of storylines of people's own, as we were talking about before, like their own versions of rom-coms. You know, there's there's stories of a man avenging his father. It's his own romance with himself, you know, to become the person that he knows he can be. Like mm-hmm. he's been chasing revenge for so long, he doesn't know what to do with himself, right? Well, now he's gonna have a, enter into a romance with piracy. Obviously the Buttercup <laughs> Wesley story is the, the quintessential romance. Um, but the the humor is unexpected and they play with the time periods you know so beautifully we're coming in and out of a grandfather and a grandson kind of having their own version of a love story um it it is works on so many levels uh so perfect and beautifully and the one-liners stick in your head they can be used in almost every conversation that you have you can you can find a reason to be quoting andre the giant
0: also, it's a great way to kind of weed people out at parties. If oh, you completely. have one of those one, yeah, one liners, and they just have no idea, you're like, "Okay, okay. you're not my people.
1: You you're know. not
0: my people." <laughs> That's okay. You go, go find your people, but we're
1: just not us. It's not us.
0: Did that film shape your point of view on love at all?
1: Yeah, probably. I haven't really baked it down, but I, I, I do think that there's this, and and I am massively and wildly in love with my husband. My husband is silly, and funny, and romantic, but usually romantic in a silly and funny way. And I think probably because I find that to be one of the most romantic stories, I look for love that has that emulates those moments, right, that the love that I have with my husband is that It, it has those silly moments, it isn't linear, you know, I've been with my husband, 21 years almost. So it's not always going to be standing on the cliff, wind in your hair moments, right? You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. somebody just does something stupid while making lunches. And that's that's all part of that that romance. The the silly parts are just as important as the sweeping epic parts.
0: I'm curious with all the scripts you read, all the writers you work with, all the directors, what rom-com plot Have you never seen, but you're dying to see made?
1: I'm really dying to see it work in the episodic construct. I know we have all these buyers out there saying, What is a rom com? Bring us your rom coms. Because I think we do it a lot, you know, just romantic, right? We have a lot of romantic series. But the rom-com takes it to the next level because it does still need to fill you each time with a sense of hope and happy and joy and, a, and you know, a meet cute. Like you want these quirky, silly moments um, to be in there. So it has to come from that comedic space, but it also has to be a broad audience if it's television. We really can't make a rom-com just for one kind of viewer. It has to appeal to everybody. That's why it's called broadcast, even in streaming and things like that. You know, it has to appeal to a broad audience. So I really want to see that. And I want to continue to see. I don't want to say that we have never seen it, but I want to continue to see complex, interesting, fully dimensional female characters. Uh, I want to see complex, interesting, fully dimensional male characters, frankly, too. Mm. Um, I want to see them appeal to their counterpart, whether it's same gendered or different gendered, in a way that incorporates um, consent. And I know that there's so many people who are like, well, you know, consent isn't really sexy. I'm like, well, there's ways to make consent pretty darn sexy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's just a failure of achievement, not a failure of truth. Um so I want those things to be baked in. I I know that the the romance novel community has really embraced the need to bring that in there. You know, like coercion isn't the sexy thing it used to be. Uh you know, so let's let's start pushing that completely out of this equation um uh, and just funny doesn't have to be at the expense of kind of appropriate, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. you know? like Yeah. They're, 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 I want to see all that. And I do think that there are writers who are writing it, directors who are directing it, producers who are producing it, buyers who are airing it. You know, I do think they're on there, but that, more of that, normalizing that, that's what I want to see in the romantic comedy community.
0: Katie, I have some audience questions. Would you mind Ooh. answering them? Yes, let's try. Okay. This is from Ian in Jackson Hole. What life moment or influence made you choose your career path? I mean,
1: I love TV from a very early age. I have an incredible mother- uh, who has worked my whole life and is very successful at her career? My father um, worked very hard as well, but so we, you know, we had nannies and, and latchkey, and I think sometimes that gets a very negative connotation. I don't mean it to be that at all. But I watched a lot of TV mm-hmm. <laughs> I, from very early on, and I loved it. And I always kind of knew, you know, my mother always said because she loves what she does, she always said find a job that you love, and so from that was really natural to me to want to find a way. To, to be in television. And then advocacy is, is something that's really important to me. I feel like if, if working in entertainment, because it takes a lot of time, it's really exhaustive. If you're gonna sp- take time away from your family and your friends, it should be meaningful. And advocacy, like Agington allows you to do, um, is important. And so I feel good when I'm taking that time away and I'm still talking about TV and movie all the time.
0: Where do you think that spark for advocacy came from? I, I don't know
1: that you can keep your eyes open lately
0: or, or even
1: for <laughs> the last few decades without feeling like you have to help people who aren't being listened to. Um, if I have a platform to use, if, if, if by some luck, I've achieved a position and luck and, and upbringing, you know, if I've achieved a position where people are listening to me. I think anybody in my position has to, and feels it, that they have to start talking for people who aren't being listened to.
0: You've made it to the lightning round. Oh no, okay. <laughs> okay, who is your favorite rom-com leading man? Uh, Colin Firth. Mm. Okay, best era for entertainment? Now. Best love plot in a non-love driven film? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Path. Okay. <laughs> chemistry on screen? The limited series
1: that A&E and BBC did of Pride and Prejudice. Oh my god, I I rewatched that limited series all the time.
0: Is that with the guy from Succession? It's with Colin Firth. Oh, it's with Colin Firth. Okay. Yes.
1: Uh, And I'm sorry that I don't know the woman's name and I should because she's amazing, but it's the best, best interpretation of that relationship that I have ever seen.
0: I just figured out my weekend plans. Okay.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) And finally, what is the greatest act of love you've ever witnessed?
1: There's so many that come to my mind. I'm having trouble like putting one above the other because I'm, I'm blessed in that my, my parents really loved each other and, Mm -hmm. um, and that I really love my husband and that I really love my kids and I have amazing brothers and sister and we have this great relationship so I, it's tough for me to pick out one over the other. Um, I will say my husband, you know, sat through a fashion show of 15 different shirts this morning because I didn't know what to wear, and that's a pretty good act of love. <laughs> but I, I have too many to choose from. Mom. I am truly grateful for that.
0: That sounds like a really great problem to have, and not <laughs> that you need my affirmation, but I love what you picked.) <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie, for your time. I'm so grateful. I, I'm
1: really grateful. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you really helped me realize how much love I have in my my life. And that's nice. I'm going to take that with me, hopefully, all day.
0: Oh, my God. Could I love that woman more? We recorded that, honestly, a few maybe months ago at this point, And editing her was such a joy because it it was just like she had truth bombs and insightful things to say left and right and she somehow also warmed my heart at the same time katie mccaffrey i'm just so in awe of you thank you so much uh if you guys want to find out more about we for she please go to weforshe.org and also if you're looking for more Meat cute content this week make sure to check out the latest episode of cruise ship written by best-selling author of pretty little liars sarah shepherd i could get away on a cruise ship right about now couldn't you and if you love me cute stories as much as i do which i'm sure you do please subscribe to them for 200 plus rom-coms and new stories weekly you get three days free and after that it's only 99 cents a month i mean come on and before you turn off this podcast make sure to rate review and subscribe us here at what she's having also reach out to us on Instagram with any of your questions for our upcoming guests or any meet cute stories at meet cute or on Twitter at listen, meet cute. I'm so grateful for all of you hoping you're having the best week and that you IMDB'd all of the inferences and references that Katie gave us today, because there are some incredible writers and stories that she talked about today. Oh, that's it for me. I'm your host, Ashley Eskew. And.
1: I'll have what she's having.